0: chapter twenty of loafing along death valley trails by william carruthers this LibriVox recording is in the public domain chapter twenty odd but interesting characters in these pages the reader has seen familiar names the favoured of lady luck but what of those who failed the patient plodding kind of whom you hear only on the scene they too followed jackasses into hidden hills made trails that led others to fortunes which built cities industries railroad endowed colleges and made science function for a better world to these humbler actors we owe more than we can repay for nearly half a century john cranky casey roamed the deserts of california and nevada looking for gold his luck was consistently bad grim tall erect with a deep slow voice he was noted for picturesque speech which gained emphasis from an utterly humorless face congenitally he was an autocrat his speech biting a prospector whom casey didn't like died and friends were discussing the disposition of the remains chop his feet off suggested casey and drive him into the ground with a double jack from others one could always hear tales of fortunes made or missed of veins of gold wide as a barn door but no trick of memory ever turned casey's bull quartz into picture rock never found enough gold to fill a tooth he would say casey's leisure hours were spent over books and magazines chiefly highbrow particularly books and journals of science a tenderfoot was brought in unconscious from Parump valley a city doctor happened to be passing through and after an examination of the victim turned to the men in overalls and hobnail shoes who'd brought him in he's suffering from a derangement of the hypothalamus why in the hell don't you say he had a heat stroke casey barked a notorious promoter had a city victim ready for the dotted line double your money in no time Samples show two hundred dollars to the ton assuming all prospectors were crooked he called to casey sitting nearby. casey you know the indian tom claim yes i know it casey thundered not a fleck of gold in the whole damn hill in the thick silence that followed the beaten rascal flushed looked belligerently at casey but casey's big hard fists he knew could almost dent boilerplate and the long arms wrapped around a barrel could crush it flat In time, Casey acquired an ancient flivver. Only his genius as a mechanic kept it going. There were lean years when it bore no license, and he kept to little-traveled roads. The car, like Casey, was cranky and phlegmatic. One day, as he was coming into Shoshone, it balked in the middle of the road, coughed, shivered, and died. Inside the store, it was 120 degrees out on the road where casey stopped it was probably a hundred and thirty for two hours he patiently but vainly tried to coax it back to life finally he stood aside wiped the grease from his gnarled hands calmly stoked his pipe and shoved the car from the road then he gathered an armful of boulders and with a blasting of cussing that shook shoshone he let go with a cannonade of stones that completed its ruin at the age of ten casey had been taken from the drift of a city's backwash and put in an orphanage nothing was known of his parentage or of relatives he came to the desert after a colorful career as a conductor on the santa fe the late e w harriman having gained control of the southern pacific system had his private car attached to a santa fe train for an inspection tour at a siding on the mojave desert harriman wanted the train held a few moments his messenger went to casey explaining that harriman was the new boss of the southern pacific this is the santa fe casey bristled looking at his watch i'm due in barstow at eleven o five and by god i'll be there aboard his train he was a despot and a stickler for the rules demanding that even his superiors obey them this finally was his downfall and he came to the desert eleanor glenn who made the bestseller list with three weeks in the early part of the century came to rawhide and tex rickard spectacular gambler undertook to show her a bit of life a la rawhide he took her to the stingaree district and later to a reception in his own place the state's notables were presented to the lady along with nat goodwin julian hawthorne and others internationally known tex saw casey standing alone at the end of the bar and knowing he was a voracious reader he went to casey come on and meet the author of three weeks i've read it casey said "They've hung folks for less casey's method of getting a job when his grub ran out was unique and unfailing he would storm into the store and turn loose on charlie in charge of the roads and long his friend who's keeping up these roads chuck them big as grand canyon disgrace been waiting for you to come in, Charlie would say with a sober face, get a shovel and fix em. A good conscientious worker, Casey would put the road in shape, pay his debts, and again head into the horizon. You who spend through Death Valley or along its approaches owe much to Casey, who made many of the original roadbeds the hard way, with pick and shovel. At last, Casey got the old age pension, and his latter years were the best his home a dugout in the bank of a wash near tecopa with no rent with books and magazines and the solitude he loved he lived happily when i croak he often said just put me in my dugout toss a stick of dynamite in after me shut the door and cave in the goddamn hill One night he went to Decopa. Friends were doing a spot of drinking, and far behind in his score with the years, Casey joined them. There was nothing out of line, just yarns and memories, and Casey had a lot of these. Tonopah, Goldfield, Rawhide, Eli, Foundling Days. They put me in a religious school, had no relatives. In those days they whaled hell out of you just to see you squirm. "'Casey,' the teacher would ask, "'who swallowed the whale?' "'How did I know?' then he'd drag me off by the ear and blister my bottom i shoved off one night been on the loose ever since as he drank from his bottle of beer he suddenly slumped and died instantly because of the intense heat Maury sorrels now supervisor but then coroner ordered immediate burial Someone recalled casey's wish to be put in the dugout and the hill blown up and started for the dynamite but whitey bill mcgarn warned that it would violate the law one-eyed casey no relation but long a friend suggested a wake until the grave was dug it will be daylight then and we will plant him in the wash right in front of his dugout this was done as the sun came up over the hills and i like to think that somewhere in the afterlife all is well with casey ben brand previously mentioned was a big blond man with childlike blue eyes huge gnarled hands and the strength of an ox he wore enormous boots but when he bought new ones he always complained that they lacked traction and would go immediately to the dump salvage an old tire casing and add two inches of reinforcement to the soles with half a pound of hobnails ben then was ready for travel provided he could find his burrows near remote quail springs ben dug a four-by-four mine shaft seventy-five feet deep without aid descending by ladder he would fill a ten-gallon bucket with dirt climb out and bring it to the surface day after day month after month ben applied the power of two strong arms and two strong legs with an engine you could do it in half the time ben was told i've got plenty of time ben drawled ben disdained gold in quartz formation i like placer it's a poor man's game if you find gold you put it in your poke and you've got spending money Ben kept five burrows and, being industrious, never lacked a grub state. He avoided argument except upon one subject, and that was burrows versus fords in prospecting. I can get anywhere with my burrows. I find stalled flivers all over the desert, and my burrows drag em in. Ben believed that a burrow had at least some of the intellectual powers of man. Read a clock as good as you, he said. I worked my burrow Solomon on a hoist. He didn't like it i got up every morning at daylight by an alarm clock slept out and kept the clock on a boulder at my head and got up when the alarm went off one morning i woke up with the sun shining straight down in my eyes it was noon that burro had sneaked up and taken that clock down the canyon a mile away don't tell me they can't think i sold him too smart i asked ben once what he would do if he suddenly found a million-dollar claim i would build a monument a thousand feet high on top of telescope peak and dedicate it to burrows such a monument would inadequately express the debt today's world owes that little beast here are some of the things that link your life to the burrow THE SPRINGS AND THE MATTRESS IN THE BED YOU WERE BORN ON, THE talc THAT POWDERED YOU, THE SOAP THAT BATHED YOU, THE RING YOU SLIPPED ON THE FINGER OF THE GIRL YOU LOVE, THE PAINT ON YOUR HOUSE, THE GLASS IN YOUR WINDOWS, THE TILE IN YOUR BATHROOM, THE ENAMELLED WARE IN YOUR KITCHEN, THE PRESCRIPTION YOUR druggist FILLS, THE FILLINGS THE DENTIST PUTS INTO YOUR TEETH, THE COIN AND THE CURRENCY YOU SPEND, THE AUTO YOU ride IN, AND, FINALLY, THE CASKET IN WHICH YOU LEAVE THIS WORLD wars have been won or lost and the credit of nations stabilized because a burrow carried a prospector's grub into faraway hills ben's strayed and he'd just returned with them after a two days hunt he was sitting on the bench mopping his brow when louise grantham the girl with the mine in the panamint came up she needed pack animals to get the ore down to the road she'd tried before to trade her ford pickup for ben's burrows but he'd never shown a flicker of interest in a voice pitched for ben's ears she said to ernie hoon if ben didn't waste so much time hunting those jacks he might find a mine ben cocked an ear but made no comment now take that quail springs hole louise went on if he had my pickup, he could take off a wheel, put on a belt, and haul up the muck in one-tenth of the time, and instead of hoofing it on the sun, he could ride in a cool cab and haul his supplies in. There comes a weak moment in every one's life, and this was Ben's. He traded the burros for the Ford, and one of the best prospectors on the desert was ruined forever." ben had a mortal fear of women and nothing could convince him that any unattached woman wasn't always lying in wait for any loose man ben went into the johnny country to prospect and passing through i looked him up he was living in a tin shack in the canyon leading up to the old johnny mine i asked ben about his luck last prospecting i did was right out there he pointed to the slope in front of his house good placer ground too why did you quit? Woman, Ben grumbled, don't know yet what came over me, but I took a woman for a partner. He pointed to a boulder a few hundred yards away. That's where I wanted to start digging. It's rich dirt. She wanted to start up there near her shack. Well, what difference did it make? I asked. I see you don't know women. I hadn't been working up there by her house no time before she called me to get her a bucket of water. Bucket was half full next day she wanted a board in the kitchen floor nailed down didn't need any nail there's some fresh apple pie on the table she says i told her i didn't like pie i'm crazy about pie but i knew her game she calculated if i ate with her two or three times i'd be a dead pigeon so i told her she could have the claim and walked off ben struck a happier note when he informed me that he didn't need to work any more and at last had attained the one ambition of his life come inside and i'll show you beaming as only a man can when he sits on top of the world he approached a table and it flashed over me that i would see a certified check for a fortune there was a cloth over the table and he carefully wiped his his big hands before touching it He wet his big, broad thumb and forefinger and gave them an extra swipe on the sides of his shirt, a wide smile on his face, and I had a vicarious thrill that a man who could barely read and write had at last achieved that which he most wanted in life. He started to remove the cloth, but paused. Always said if I ever struck it rich, first money I spent would be for one of these dinkuses. He flipped the cloth aside, and I stared incredulous. It was a portable typewriter. He replaced the cover with the gentle care of a mother putting her baby to bed, and I left him, sure that God was in his heaven, with an eye on Ben. Contemporary with Ben was Joe Vollmer, who lived in a dugout in Dublin Gulch. I had seen royalty from afar, and once I had dined with a sultan on horse meat and fried bananas, but no king ever attained the majesty of Joe. He was tall, erect, wore a white sailor's hat, and carried a cane. His moustache was always waxed to a needle point, after the manner of Kaiser Wilhelm. Though he increased his small pension by selling home brew, he always managed to give the impression that he was descending to your level when he accepted the two bits you left on his table. He was neat as he was lordly, and forever scrubbing his pots and pans. He kept the dugout immaculate, and when I first saw him standing on the ledge in front of his door, calmly surveying the valley below, he posed like an Alexander the Great with the world conquered and trust at his feet. I had never seen him until one day a tourist came into the store and asked Charlie for a stopwatch. Charlie told him he didn't carry stopwatches. Shortly after the tourist had gone, Joe came in for a stopwatch. Don't keep Charlie said hell of a store joe bart and strode out a curious coincidence i said two calls for a stopwatch in the same day away out here it's no coincidence charlie said just joe volmer he's in every day asking for something he knows i haven't got after joe left jack crawley came for his mail brown was in the cage set apart for the post office he had just received several sheets of six-cent stamps twice as many as he needed jack he said when you see joe tell him i'm out of six-cent stamps within an hour joe shoved a five-dollar bill through the window give me five dollars worth of six-cent stamps he ordered brown picked up the bill filled the order and never again did joe ask for merchandise not in stock joe sold a claim and decided he needed a refrigerator to keep the beer cold So he picked up a Monkey Ward catalog and ordered a big white enamel number, large enough for a hotel. Joe thought a refrigerator was just a refrigerator, and he strutted around telling everybody. He had to widen the dugout door, and waiting customers were more than eager to help him get the machine in place. He loaded the shelves and told them to come back in a couple of hours and cool their innards. They came with their tongues hanging out. Joe set out the glasses and passed the bottles herman jones picked one up and shook it the cork hit the ceiling hotter'n hell herman said what sort of cooler is that he went over and looked gas you damn fool nearest gas is barstow until joe's death he used the refrigerator to store pots and pans discovered in his dugout in a serious condition joe was rushed to death valley junction twenty-eight miles away where the pacific coast borax company maintained a hospital which was in charge of dr shrum who was rather realistic and somewhat cold-blooded just as they had gotten joe in the doctor's office another patient was brought in dr shrum looked at the newcomer and then at joe take joe out he ordered he's going to die anyway joe was wheeled outside and a moment later was dead george williams a spanish-american war veteran retired to shoshone on a pension of fifty dollars since food was cheap george had more money than he knew what to do with he kept five burros. he never prospected but roamed the country and thought nothing of taking a three hundred mile trip across the roughest terrain in the region after spending his summers in the high country he would return to shoshone in winter There he had a five-acre ranch fenced in and a neat cabin. Every day George would come to the store and buy a pound of chocolates. I've got a sweet tooth, he would explain. Charlie, sure that no one could eat as much chocolate as George bought, was a bit curious as to what George did with it and trailed him one day through the mesquite to find George feeding the candy to his burros. George was not a drinker, but on one occasion he joined a party and went on a bender. He awoke next morning with a horrible hangover, and was so humiliated that he left Shoshone and never returned. He went over to Sandy, and died in the thirties. One day George started to tell me a story as we sat on the bench. His burros were grazing in the nearby salt grass. Every time he reached the climax of his yarn, he would jump up to go after a straying burrow. When he retrieved that one, another would wander off, and George would leave me again for one entire summer i listened to the beginning of that yarn and every morning would remind him of it where was i he'd say oh yes i was telling you about the girl climbing out of the fellow's window just before daylight well she went and then george would jump up and start after a burrow and i never learned what happened to the torrid romance after the girl crawled out of her lover's window End of Chapter 20.